Hello, this is Dr. Melanie Greenberg, and today we'll be mapping stress in the brain on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons that highlight the importance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The functional nutrition matrix has a job. It reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything in the body is connected, We are all unique and all the things we do matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's episode mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these connections and critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Melanie Greenberg. Melanie Greenberg, PhD, is a practicing psychologist, author, speaker, and life coach in Mill Valley, California, and worldwide. She has more than 20 years of experience as a clinician, professor, and researcher. Melanie is the author of The Stress Proof Brain, an Amazon bestseller in neuroscience. She also writes the Mindful Express blog, which has over 16 million page views for psychology today. Melanie has a best-selling continuing education course on treating stress, trauma, and anxiety through PESI. An international speaker, she has presented workshops and talks throughout the United States and in Australia and the Netherlands. Dr. Greenberg, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I really, I have to confess that we recorded before together and I lost the recording, but I loved our conversation so much that I wanted to make sure that we could share it with everybody. And I love this idea of stress-proofing the brain and you speak about it so well. And I'm wondering if you can kick us off by explaining what you mean by that. What does it mean to stress-proof the brain? Sure, Andrea. So the brain has neuroplasticity. Mm. And what I mean by that is that our brains can actually change from experience, as well as from like repeated practice of new thoughts or new behaviors. And even as adults, it changes most easily before it's fully grown at 25. But even as adults, if you keep practicing new ways of thinking, new ways of behaving, you'll find that you end up with a different brain that's more stress tolerant if you're practicing you know your your mindfulness your healthy habits your your ways of thinking about things that are are more positive or more help you solve problems and so on and the brain has a stress response and the stress response is wired in but you can change the intensity of that response or you can change your your fight or flight, your autonomic nervous system, how, how revved up your body gets, or you can change your ability to kind of re- modify that response by thinking rationally. 
it's such a good way of thinking about it. And when we look at it like that, and we think about the left side of the matrix, what we call the story, is it true that some of the way the stress is wired into our brain is coming from repeat exposures that aren't as mindful or that are more traumatic and that they kind of wire our brain towards the stress response that we may be experiencing as adults? Yes, I think trauma can rewire your brain and uh, chronic stress, and it can make you more reactive, particularly there's a part of the brain called the amygdala, which is like the brain's threat and alarm center. Right. The amygdala is wired to alert you when there's something that's a threat or important to pay attention to. And it's very rapid. And in, and when the amygdala fires, it starts a whole biochemical reaction where you, you start breathing faster or the blood pumps to your muscles, your, your thoughts go faster, you release more glucose for energy, and all of it is preparing you to fight a predator or to, or to run away from something dangerous. And this has been wired in for thousands of years. But when you've had these difficult ex traumatic experiences or lots of chronic stress, the system can become more reactive. It can be more easily triggered even by things that you know are not objectively as dangerous. And even by things that have some resemblance to your trauma, but it's not really a relevant resemblance. Like somebody looks like the person that right. abused. And so it be, there's this automatic kind of wiring of reactivity or, or shutting down or, or numbing. So that's more intense and less modifiable. It, it just take, it takes more, more repeated practice to modify it and sometimes takes therapy to be kind of modified in the relationship and through the body as well. I just think it's such an interesting thing to think about our stress response, both through a bio-individual lens and also through the lens of our antecedents, you know, what we came into the world with, what triggered our stress response, mm -hmm. that stress isn't actually this thing where we all say like, well, I'm stressed. The factor is stressful because we each actually respond to those stressors differently. And that difference is built into us sometimes from before we actually landed here on this earth in our ancestry and then in our life experiences up till this point that we're experiencing them. Right, exactly. I mean, there's something called passing trauma through the generations, mm. you know, and the mechanism might be biological not so much in changing your genes but more more than changing which genes get switched on right and you actually see differences uh, in the brains of say, children of holocaust survivors mm -hmm. for example they show some of this kind of trauma response in their brains uh so it's really interesting genetics plays a role so say in determining who gets ptsd it's about five to twenty percent is genetic mm. You know, some people are just wired for anxiety. They're wired to be, you know, more, more reactive, more worried, more more catastrophizing. Uh, and some people tend to have a more calm nervous system if you hit the genetic jackpot. Right. So, and then there's all the childhood experiences. So there are a lot of factors that figure in. Yeah. If we move into the kind of physiology a little bit more, I love that you talked about the amygdala. You also speak a lot about the prefrontal cortex. How is that 
area of the brain wired to stress or to respond to stress? So the prefrontal cortex is the CEO of your brain. It's kind of the manager of the whole system. And it does lots of different things. They're different parts. For example, it can help you plan and set goals and inhibit behaviors that, you know, will be harmful to you or not helpful. Uh, Think about a big picture. And one of the things it does is that it communicates back and forth with the amygdala. So that allows it to modify the stress response. So the amygdala, it just goes off quickly. But there's also, at the same time, the information's a little bit slower, but it's traveling to your prefrontal cortex. And when your prefrontal cortex gets it, it can, it can tell the amygdala to calm down. For example, if you see a stick in the road that looks like a snake, your body will react very quickly because that would be functional to get you out of there. There's no time to evaluate, you know, is right. this a snake and what kind and so on. But then, like, moments later you'll notice, oh, it's actually just a stick and and that comes from the prefrontal cortex and it starts, it tells everything to calm down. So, or it might tell it to rev up, you know, if there's a life-threatening danger, like the footsteps behind you in a dark alley start Mm. getting faster, you know, something like that. So it can go either way. It's a more mindful kind of modulation of your stress response to adapt to the situation and the changes in the situation as it unfolds. It's so interesting to think about the brain in the body, what's happening as you're talking about the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. As I teach and as you and I both well know, the brain doesn't exist in isolation. It's connected to everything else in the body. So when these changes are happening or these triggers are happening in our brains that are causing a stress response, in your work, what else have you seen manifest in the body are you seeing things that people are often complaining about that are connected to a stress response that they might not be correlating yeah i i think there's a lot of different things that can be connected to stress and one of them would be chronic pain so sometimes you know people may have an injury and it heals but the pain continues right they may have chronic pain, you know, in some part of the body that just kind of comes on in a stressful period. Um, And there's not really a clear physiology, you know, that why that should be happening. Generally, those things can be related to stress. Um, Another example might be like autoimmune, like asthma, allergies, autoimmune responses. The gut is also a big area for fear and for stress. So people might have irritable bowel syndrome or they just, you know, may feel stomach pains, uh, migraine headaches, Mm. or or even tension headaches would be another example. And, you know, long term, if you you don't manage your stress, you're at higher risk for cardiovascular disease or for diabetes, you know, that that's over many years of of not managing stress well and and combined with diet and lack of exercise and things like that. Right. So these things are all impacting 
all aspects of the body. We see that on the functional nutrition matrix, there's a spot on the right side for stress and resilience. We have to be addressing this with our chronically ill clients and patients. We can't overlook stress in their life, but also their stress response, which you speak so well about when you take us into the realm of mindfulness. So I know mindfulness is kind of a buzzword these days. How do you talk about mindfulness in your writing, in your practice, and with people you teach? Yeah, I just mindfulness has become very widely publicized, but people often don't know exactly what it is. Yeah. A lot of people think mindfulness is just, you know, like you sit and you empty your mind. Right. <laughs> I wish we could, but right. it's virtually impossible to do. Um so what mindfulness is instead it's it's more it's awareness of of your of the contents of your experience like what's happening in your mind what's happening in your body what's happening in your senses what are you seeing feeling hearing smelling and so it's it, and it's what are your thoughts it's, so it's kind of it's looking at all of that from an open compassionate perspective or it could be like using an anchor like your breath for mm. example and just keeping that kind of just watching your breath and noticing when your mind wanders and then bringing it back. And then when you keep practicing that, you'll get more awareness of how your mind's working and what it's wandering off to. And that that gives you, you know, more choice in, in how you react, in what you think about, in how you respond to your thoughts. Uh, but there's also, the, you know, the compassion and the openness versus being defensive. Right. Um you know, that you, you kind of, you're paying compassionate attention to other people. And in that way, it can make you more skillful because you, you're more likely to notice other people's reactions and needs and feelings. And also it can make your relationships better as well as your relationship with yourself. Yeah. It, it's really interesting how you're talking about it being a skill. You know, we have to be skillful. And I think this is something to remind our clients and patients that mindfulness like many other things in the healing journey is not a one and done. And I love that you said it's helping us with how we react. And one thing I've experienced in my own journey, in my own practice, is that I, I'm going to get triggered. I just have to have compassion about the fact that I'm going to be triggered. The stress response mm -hmm. is going to be triggered. And the goal isn't to eliminate it completely. It's to recognize when it happens, have compassion for myself and have it happen less often. And when I'm triggered, stay in that triggered state for a shorter period of time. When you're looking mm -hmm. at mindfulness, are there ways you help us get into the practice so we can achieve that awareness? Or have you found it's not a one size fits all for people, a mindfulness practice? Yeah, I think it's not a one size fits all. You know, if if a lot of people have difficulty meditating or sticking yes. with it. That's me. Yeah. And then <laughs> a lot of other people as well. Revealing. So, <laughs> going on, there's so much we have to do. It's hard to just sit with that stillness. Yes. And for some people, again, part of that is, is misunderstanding what you're supposed to be doing. Right. So if you don't think that you, you know, you're a failure because you didn't empty your mind, it might be a bit easier just to notice your thoughts and bring them back and exactly. notice them back. But some people need to be more active. And so 
you can also do a mindful walking would be another example. So you can walk, you know, in nature or you can yes. go into your, your garden if you have one. And you, you can just focus on one sense at a time. So what am I seeing? So you look at all the shapes and the colors, you know, of the trees or the plants or the sky. Uh, what am I hearing? You might hear the breeze or you might hear an insect. Just You just notice whatever it is you're hearing. What am I smelling? You know, the, if there's any fragrances or, the, you know, the smell of the earth, of the forest or of the, of the flower um, and or the water. And then you might also notice what am I feeling? You know, and I said, what is you know, like, what does it feel like to have the breeze on my body? Or what does it feel like to feel the sun on my skin? And so you just, you do that one sense at a time. And it, it calms you down. Like it, it's, it's very tranquil. And plus, it's, it's slowing you down and helping you focus on kind of the positive, but also just on your senses, focusing on your senses takes you out of the worry network of your brain. And what is happening in our brain when we do that? I really resonated with what you said about, you know, the difficulties meditating. One of the things that's helped me to embrace a mindful meditation practice is just allowing myself to sit without that judgment, like you're talking about. Yeah. That judgment I'm imagining gets into our brain in another way that tells us another story that adds to more stress as opposed to acceptance. So what does happen in the brain when we slow down like that, when we accept, when we allow, when we surrender? So they've shown a lot of brain changes um, from repeated practice of mindfulness, you know, but it, it takes a few months and, you know, that's intensive practice. So it may take longer if you're not doing it you know, for half an hour, five times a week or whatever. But some of the changes in the brain are that they seem to affect the prefrontal cortex, kind of making it stronger, and the amygdala making it weaker, mm. uh, smaller. And, and then also that there's more connectivity, there's more connection between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, which kind of makes sense, you know, because you're making that connection when you're observing what, you th what you're thinking or observing what your body's doing. Um, it's also some effects on the insula, which is, is related to compassion as well as body awareness and also affects how you feel pain. And also there's something in the brain called um, the default mode network. And it's, it's on when, you, when you're worrying or thinking or daydreaming, which it means it's on a lot of the time. Because you know we spend a lot right. of worrying and planning, that focusing on the senses switches off the default mode network and puts you into a network that's more focused, like on the immediate present, whether it's your senses or whether you're focusing on the task you're doing. Um, you know, and that can be a very helpful tool to know when I'm caught up in worry and I can't actually change my thoughts. I can just go and smell lavender or suck on a mint or feel a smooth stone or, or look out the window and that'll that'll break it. That'll break that hold of the, of the default mode network for that moment. Yeah, I really appreciate what you started us out with talking about neuroplasticity and coming back to this as our final point. What you are speaking to is that what we're experiencing in this moment is this moment in time. And we do have the opportunity for ourselves and to support our clients and patients in that rewiring of the story that's causing 
that stress reaction. Exactly. It's, I mean, the first step is understanding that it is a story. When you observe your thoughts or when you observe the stories you tell yourself, you're not you're not in the story as much anymore. So right. you can see it, it's thoughts running through your mind. You know, it's an old pattern. Once you get that kind of perspective, it becomes easier to not, you know, to modify it or to not pay as much attention to it or to let it go. And that's one of the key benefits of mindfulness as well. Like just realizing you're in the present moment, you can return your mind there and the present moment is safe. Perfectly said. Thank you so much, Dr. Greenberg. I once again appreciated my conversation with you. Oh, you're welcome. I had fun too. <laughs> Thank you. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix team features music by Gilbert Nakayama, production support from Natalie Merrill and the amazing Functional Nutrition Alliance team, and mixing and editing by Rowan Bradley. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode by email, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, we'd love to hear from you. We'd really love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the podcast? What's your feedback? Who would you like to hear next? You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.